Hello, everyone. So um, today is episode four of the Within podcast, and I have an awesome and a special guest today, which is Alison Perotto. She is the CEO of SARC, which is an organization um, located locally in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and I'm pretty sure around the United States, too, or is it just something... So SARC is a sexual assault center, and there are sexual assault centers in uh, that serve every county in Pennsylvania, and they're a pretty common organization, nonprofit that exists across the United States, okay. Okay. but we're not um, part of a larger collaborative or network of SARCs. So okay. there are sexual assault centers all over the country, okay. Okay. but we're the one that serves Lebanon and Schuylkill counties. Okay, awesome. So there you go, guys. Um, I, I knew... They were local, but I wasn't sure if they were somewhere else. But um, it's awesome to have this opportunity today because we're going to talk um, basically about the topic of, of sexual abuse and, and their role as an organization to help people who are struggling. So um, before I start, if you feel that this topic is um, really sensitive and that uh, some of the stuff that are being shared here uh, maybe provoke something in you, some um, thought or... Um, just something that you remember that happened to you in the past. Um, you are not forced. Don't feel obligated to listen to this. We're doing this to help people. So if you feel like this might help you, um, please um, stick with us. Listen to the complete uh, audio. And and maybe, you know, you might be able to take a step um, in the future and, and, and open up about a personal experience of yours. So, um, Ali, thank you so much for being here okay. with me. I really appreciate that. So, just to start, can you give me a little bit of a background of, of what is ARC specifically and, and the role in the local community? Sure. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, especially, um, thank you for giving that, that nice introduction and mm -hmm. that reminder that sexual abuse or sexual violence can be a really difficult topic. And it's also one that affects a lot of people in our community. Mm -hmm. So um, so it's not unusual for people to hear about sexual abuse and um, it will bring to mind their own memories or mm -hmm. their own experiences and mm -hmm. have it come back to them. And we always in our work at SARC, um, recognize that people who've survived sexual violence are really the drivers of the bus in their own healing mm. and that people can make choices about their healing. Mm. And that choice can be different from minute to minute or day to day. And if today is not the day to listen to a podcast, it doesn't mean tomorrow won't be yeah. your day. Mm -hmm. And so people always have the option of, mm -hmm. um, of doing what is going to be safe mm -hmm. and well for them and help them in their healing and, mm -hmm. and come back to things as they're able to. So SARC as an agency is a nonprofit organization and one that serves uh, Lebanon County and Schuylkill County. And any member of our community can reach out to SARC for help or support or services. And we're actually available 24 hours a day. Wow. So we run a 24-hour support line in both of our counties. So people can reach out through that phone line at any time to talk to a trained sexual assault counselor. And that means that they'll be connected with someone who has um, who's gone through training and who is ready and prepared to listen to someone and help them to um, work through anything or any challenges that they're experiencing mm -hmm. related to their own victimization mm -hmm. or to victimization against someone that they know yeah. or care about. Mm -hmm. So our services are not only limited to people who've experienced sexual violence, it could be 
parents, it could be siblings, it could be children, it could be spouses or partners, it could be friends who are just deeply impacted by something that happened to Mm -hmm. someone that they know or love. Mm And everything that we provide, all of the services that we provide are available at no cost to the community. So if someone wants to reach out and use the hotline for support, that's available at no cost. Mm -hmm. If someone's interested in coming in and speaking to a counselor, getting some crisis counseling to help them through, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a particularly difficult time. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily need to be um, some you know, for a victimization that happened recently, it could Mm. be a particularly difficult time you're experiencing Mm. for something that happened a really long time ago, because we've seen, and I'm sure you'll remember, you know, watching the news or big stories of things that come out or that happen. It's not unusual for people to experience some form of sexual violence and to wait a long time before they talk about it or even acknowledge it as that. Um, and that's for a lot of different reasons, but mm-hmm. many of them just come down to the the belief or the idea or the fear that people won't be believed when they talk about what happened. Mm. So, you know, I know you have been with Shark for what, like two years now? Uh, well, just uh, just over a year, actually. Uh, over a year. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I worked at SARC previously. Okay, so, so you did work Yeah, so well, I right? worked here for a few years, about 10 years ago, and okay. then I came back last September. Now, if you don't mind me asking, uh-huh. what motivated you to come back to SARC? What was uh-huh. the driving force? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, they actually asked me that question in my interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why are you coming back if you like your job so much? Because I was working at the, the state coalition against sexual assault. So I was working at like a different level in okay. the same movement. And I loved every job that I've ever had in wow. this work, which is a really powerful thing to say yeah, because yeah. it's hard work and it, it's, it can oh, be yeah. really challenging to, to listen to people's stories and to do big change in the community. It takes a toll on the helpers. Oh, yeah. Um, but I've really, I've loved and appreciated and been grateful for all the opportunities I've had to wow. do this work. I think one of the things that, uh, made me want to come back and to work at SARC again and to do it in this different role as a director was, um, you know, I've lived in this community for my whole life. And I felt like I had learned things mm-hmm. at the state level or at the national level that I uh, could bring back and put into practice here. And I wanted to make my community a better, healthier, safer place. And, um, Interesting that you said that it does take a toll on on, on the helpers, mm-hmm. especially you and, and the people around you. How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do to, um, you know, in your case, listening to so many stories probably and yeah. people coming and I mean, probably crying, just going through so many hardships. How do you deal with that yeah. personally? I think it's something that on the whole, we've been getting better at, especially in the past couple of years. Um, So if you've ever heard the term vicarious trauma or the idea that you can't walk through someone else's trauma with them without being affected by it yourself Mm -hmm. and to think that you can do that. Like I think for a long time, even, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the belief was you had to have a tough outer shell. You had to be 
am tough enough to hear these things and be okay with it. Mm -hmm. And what we're learning from from research, from practice, from what we know about the brain and Mm -hmm. how it works is to have the expectation that you can move through someone else's trauma with them without being affected by it is like expecting that you can walk through a puddle without getting wet. Oh, it's just not possible, you know? Um, So we're really trying to switch our our mind frame from one of I've got to have a tough outer shell and just get through this to one where we draw on the the vicarious resilience of the people that we're working on. So if you Mm -hmm. as a helper um, know and see and believe all of the hope that people come through their healing with or the changes that they're able to Mm -hmm. make in their lives as a result of of making their own choices for their healing or finding the things that are going to work really well for them Mm -hmm. and celebrating the things that have gotten them to this point in their life, even if it's hard things, They've survived it and gotten here to a place where they want to talk to someone, want to ask for help, Mm. you know, things like that. Like, that's amazing stuff. And if we as helpers can draw on the resilience and the the Mm -hmm. hope that we see in the people that we serve, it can be a recharge rather than a deplete of our own selves as helpers. That's um, impressive because uh, I know... I think movies you see when someone goes to a psychologist, the psychologist or the therapist is always so serious and so mm-hmm. like you know, removed. Yeah, yes, they're not really a part of this. Yeah, you will think like, I mean, I'm here to express myself, but also I'm looking for that, that emotional support that you show mm-hmm. people that you care of by you know like, hey, I'm here for you and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Basically, you're breaking up paradigm in myself because I always thought that most of the time, and I'm pretty sure this is still going on, where some psychologists will not be involved emotionally or try not to be, try to avoid that mm-hmm. that involvement. Uh, but at the same time, like, how can you help someone if you're not really emotionally involved? So um, that's actually really eye-opening. And um, so what advice would you give people who are seek seeking or thinking of actually opening up mm-hmm. you know um an experience like that so strong so mm-hmm. hard to tell other people what you know in your experience what what do you think will be nice to um tell people that they could do in that sense yeah so i think um one of the most important things that that we really base our services on is this idea that um <laughs> people will make the choices that are right for them in that moment. Mm. So it's, um, you know, finding the person who uh, you you trust, you feel like you're ready to talk to. Um, and when when we talk with the community at large, we really encourage folks, like a lot of times if someone's going to talk about sexual abuse or, you know, something that happened to them in their childhood or something traumatic that's happened um, in their lives, they're not going to start by picking up the phone and calling a sexual assault counselor. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're trained to to meet people where yeah. they're at, to listen, yeah. to, to help them make yeah. informed choices and decisions about yeah. their next steps. But a lot of times the first person that a person is going to tell mm-hmm. is going to be a friend, a family member someone that they trust in their lives not some professional dream to to hear do it 
So talking with the community at large about what it means to hear a disclosure like that and to be a supportive person so that you can help someone take the next step or take the next move in their healing journey um, is, you know, you, you don't want to start by questioning them. Well, why were you there? What were you doing? That's never going to be helpful for someone who's just coming to a place where it has taken them so much courage or time or thinking to decide that I'm going to talk about this thing that I'm really not even very sure about because of, you know, it happened mm-hmm. a long time ago. The person who hurt me said that no one would believe me. Like it could be all kinds of reasons. Um, letting that person know that you believe them, that mm-hmm. you like thanking them for trusting you with that information mm-hmm. and letting them know that you support them in the decisions that they're going to make next. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when we, um, you know, watch movies or TV shows yeah. or things that involve like sexual abuse or telling the police or, yeah. you know, SVU and investigating all that yeah. stuff. Um, we see something that's sort of like neat and wrapped up and in a half hour segment and um, you might get like the prescription for what, okay, so this just happened to you. So you have to go to the hospital or do this Mm. next or tell the police or, you know, like this is what you do. Just like if you got um, strep throat and you had to go to the doctor, this is your prescription for what you get to fix it. And with something like sexual abuse, Uh um, a person mm-hmm. never chooses mm-hmm. that victimization. Someone else made that choice for them. Someone else made the choice to hurt them. And so if you also take away the choices and the healing, that's not exactly um, fair to that person. So what we always say is people don't make choices in what happened to them, but they can make choices in their healing. Mm-hmm. And everybody's choice is going to look, it's going to look different from person to person. It's going to look different from day to day. And, um, you, you really need to make the choice based on what's going to feel right for you in that moment with the tools that you have and the support that you have mm-hmm. or, um, or what you feel comfortable with as a person. Mm-hmm. And so one person may choose um, not to talk about it at all and to give themselves some time to really process it or think through it or, you know, like what I really need in order to be okay is to go back to my life the way that it normally is for a little bit of time before I'm ready to talk about it. Another person may say, I want to do something about this right away. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to report to the police, go to the hospital, get all the medical care that I need. And being able to do something in that moment will be therapeutic and helpful to them. Mm -hmm. And I think our role as SARC is to be the advocates for the people as they make their choices so that Mm. they can make informed choices and the systems that they make their choices within respect them and respect their, um, Mm -hmm. their, their value to make Mm -hmm. decisions. Mm -hmm. And, um, do you think that schools should actually teach students, um, what they should do in case like something like that happens to them? Do they, do you, Does that happen? Yeah. Yeah, So um, I always say that there's sort of two sides to what SARC does. There's the direct services and counseling Uh side. And then we also do a lot with prevention education. And so um, it's really common that we'll have our prevention educator out in the schools talking to young people. And for decades, actually, we used... um, sort of like a no-go-tell philosophy. Like we had to tell Mm -hmm. students what bad touches were. They had to know that those were not okay. They had to know that they could get help if that did happen to them. And um, 
And I think it was useful because it built awareness for a really long time. But now we've actually reached a point in time where it's, um, you know, it's not just a building awareness thing anymore. Mm. It's that we want to stop it before it happens. Mm. And so we've really shifted a lot of our focus with our prevention and education work from putting the responsibility for stopping abuse on the children who are experiencing it and instead putting the responsibility on the adults in the community who are responsible for the safety and well-being of those children. Good. So we're educating parents and caregivers on identifying grooming behaviors and other their adults. So things that are kind of questionable or crossing boundaries because sexual abuse of children, a lot of times it does not start with, hello, my name is Pete. I'm going to sexually abuse you today. No. Um, this, And then the abuse happens. Yeah. A lot of times it's a known and trusted person who makes themselves, um, you know, valuable to the family, trusted by the child. They're like a considered a, yeah, yeah, it's a relationship built over time. And a lot of times uh. it's a relationship built both with the child and with their family members or their caregivers. And in building that relationship over time, they'll introduce, you know, like it starts by just being like a really helpful person who will pick someone up from school for you. And then as time goes on, as the relationship builds, they'll pick someone up from school and they'll have like dirty magazines in the front seat and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you saw that. I'm going to throw those in the back. And it's slowly eroding the boundaries um, over a long period of time for both the child and the, their caregivers yeah. and testing the waters and making sure that, the, you know, like, oh, I told the child not to tell anybody about these dirty magazines that I tossed in the back seat. So um, if they do not tell about that, then I know that I can move it to the next level. Wow. And if we instead put the responsibility for identifying those behaviors um, wow. on, on adults rather than children, hopefully will, first of all, keep children safe. And second of all, will not, um, you know, like the unintended side impact of teaching children no go tell, if they in fact do not no go tell, if they, you know, stick in the situation because they knew and trusted this person and it's built slowly over time and it's become normal to them, then they might blame themselves for not doing what the SARC educator said oh, to do. Yeah, yeah. And we don't ever want a child who's made no choice to hurt themselves feel responsible for, for that, that choice. Yeah. So we've shifted our focus to to educating parents, caregivers, and professionals. And in our work with children and young people, instead of um, talking about like what is sexual abuse, no go tell about it, we're really trying to ramp up our our programming so that we're building the protective factors for young people. So building the kinds of things that give them... um, you know, sort of like a booster shot against being chosen as the person who's going to be harmed or growing up to be the person who harms someone else. So there's protective factors for victimization and then protective factors for perpetration as well. And we've shifted to using programming that helps to ramp up those protective protective factors so that people, um, you know, grow up to be safe, healthy, happy adults to Mm -hmm. the best that we can. And um, now something that just came to my mind. Is there a way that people or organizations like SARC could focus on topics to heal somehow or work with the people who tend to have 
the characteristics of a perpetrator. Mm. I'm not, so to, to better explain it or explain my question is, so you're focusing on the people being affected by it. Is there anything, not necessarily by SARC, but other organizations that you may know mm -hmm. about that it's been done to work with people who have characteristics or a mm -hmm. story, like a story of, of doing this kind of um, crimes? Mm -hmm. Is there anything being done in that area? Yeah, so there are absolutely um, like intervention programs. Okay. Um, a lot of times it's in, within the mental health world. So okay. um, there are providers or professionals who help to work with people who have committed sexual offenses in the past, who've, um, or, or even, you know, young people who are beginning to show those tendencies toward um, becoming a perpetrator of sexual violence later on. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that I don't think we have enough of that in our area. Yeah. That it's, you know, the program that are available are kind of limited they can be hard to find or hard to access yeah. and um we 100 want people to have access to that stuff because if they're you know if we believe that people can heal from something like a sexual victimization we we almost have to also believe that it's possible for people to heal from um whatever it is that has caused them to cause harm mm -hmm. and so we support and promote access to that kind of support in the community but it's not something that we currently offer here in yeah Zark. yeah Awesome. Okay, I get it now. Because uh, I just thought of like, okay, we're offering services in this area. Are we doing this in this other area? Not necessarily from SARC, but maybe in the community mm -hmm. uh, or in nationally, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, my last question for you is, so in the future, what is SARC looking at when it comes to advocacy and helping people? Mm -hmm. What's the vision in that sense for SARC? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things that we're looking <laughs> at. <laughs> Actually, you're catching us at a time where we're getting ready to do our strategic planning as an organization. Uh, yeah. So so big things are, are happening and big things are always happening yeah. when it comes to yeah. big change work. One of the things that I'm really um, proud of and I'm excited to be a part of is our work around anti-oppression efforts in the mm. community. So, um, it, you know, if you, and I think this speaks back to like the things that led us to start places like SARC or sexual assault yeah. centers way back in, you know, the sixties and seventies yeah. when they were starting was this need or, or belief that, um, you cannot have uh, a safe, healthy, happy community if you have hate or bias in the community wow. of any kind. Yeah. And so to to cure, to alleviate things that um, become the, the tools of hurt or of oppression, whether it's rape or sexual abuse or racism and, and racist attitudes and behaviors, all of those things are sort of interconnected. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand the interplay of mm -hmm. racism in the community, mm -hmm. of poverty in the community, mm -hmm. of... Um, 
you know, creating safe and affirming environments for people who identify as LGBTQ plus in the community yep. and making sure that every person is valued as a person and that they're not turned away from, mm. from services or excluded because mm. of their identities or their backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And not just that, but we have an obligation to sort of break down barriers in the community. Well. So in Lebanon County, for example, we have a high, um, high proportion of the population that speaks Spanish as their first yeah. language and service providers in the community like SARC, uh, um, all need to, to do work in order to make, um, our services accessible to make our, our mm -hmm. efforts affirming and to make sure that people have, have access to healing services in the language of their heart wow. and not, um, you know, expecting people to change the mold or to figure yeah. it out or to yeah. understand the system or navigate it. And so we've, um, we've been really intentional about building partnerships with like the Pennsylvania immigrant and refugee coalition oh, wow. or, um, you know, making sure that, that we'll call interpreters that people mm. can access our therapy services, mm. um, even if they speak a language other than English. Mm. Um, and it's it's hard and it's challenging and we're yeah. not all the way there yet. Yeah. But it's really important if we really are living our mission of preventing sexual violence and promoting healing for the people that we're serving. That's amazing. Well, Ali, thank you so much for being here today with me. Um, This was really eye-opening. I really enjoyed it. I mean, and I, we have talked about this um, in other occasions, but having the opportunity to let people know what's going on um, in the local community and just nationally overall, there's so many things and services that people can have and, and access to that sometimes I don't really know about. And um, I think um, this is going to help so many people. So, guys, thank you for listening to this uh, episode of the podcast. Um, I hope and pray that you can use this um, as a tool to know what to do and, and just think about your own life, the life of the people around you. If you know somebody that either has struggled in the past or maybe, just maybe, is struggling with, with that battle within that they don't, you know, they don't feel safe of sharing this information with a professional, please talk to them. Let them hear this uh, podcast so that they can hear that Um, we're here to help. You know, Sark is here uh, here to help you and um, they would love to assist you. So thank you again and uh, I'll see you until next time.